Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, the podcast about shooting games. I'm your host, Edward Smith, and I'm joined, as ever, by my first co-host, Reed McCarter. Hi. Hi, Ed. Hi, Reed. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I couldn't be better. Really? That's... That is a lot of enthusiasm for this show. <laughs> Tone it down, young man. Alright, sorry. I'm okay. We're talking about somber subject matter. Come on. Yeah, exactly. That's true, actually. Come on, show some respect, man. Uh, <laughs> that voice on the other end of the line there is my second co-host, Patrick Lindsay. Hello. Um, I'm going to make it my goal for tonight to try and match Reed's enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, even though that might be impossible, but I'm going to do do my best. Well, trying to reach the dizzying heights of the MacArthur enthusiasm is not an easy task. Was that but, was uh, the MacArthur enthusiasm not the last Tom Clancy novel? No, that was my <laughs> that was my prog rock band oh, actually okay. in university. Right. Yep. Uh, and we are joined this week by uh, a very special guest um, who I'm going to introduce by name first before going into his credits. Uh, we're joined by Christopher Cross. Christopher, how are you? Good, good. Uh, you can call me Chris if you want. You don't have to. Poems, I don't want to sound like I'm fucking my dad. <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I, I like to sort of, you know, I always think it's safer to go formal. Yeah. Like if I'm emailing someone called Michael, I'll say, hi, Michael, just in case, you know. Um, sure. But yeah, all right, we'll stick to, we'll stick to Chris. Uh, so, Chris, um, you've worked in, in video games now for, for quite a long time. Um, you were creative director on the original Medal of Honor for PS1, uh, Medal of Honor Frontline. You did Medal of Honor Rising Sun. And you're also director on Homefront as well for the PS3 from 2011. Um, are there anything that I've missed out of that? I mean, I know there's a few projects here and there that I'm sure I've not listed. Uh, no, but I'll bring them up if they're relevant to anything we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Deal. I'll say, like, oh, like this one time on blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, back when I was working on. Yeah. Call of Duty for Modern Warfare. Yeah. <laughs> Although I never worked. On it. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. <laughs> so that's back when I was secretly a... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a convenient segue because um, the game that we're talking about this week, and the reason that I asked Chris to come on the show, is uh, Call of Duty for Modern Warfare from 2007, uh, developed by Infinity Ward, uh, published by Activision. And Chris, I wanted to to have you on really because obviously um, the kind of war games that you worked on, especially uh, in the in the 90s and the early 90s, were very different. Not just in terms of subject matter and period, but um, style, design, approach, etc. To the kind of war games that exist now and that exist kind of as a result of modern warfare. Um, and also, it's a, you know it's an interesting game in its own right. We don't want to just talk about the history and the legacy or things like that. It's worth kind of analysing closely by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, what we like to do really is just to kind of open with some general opinions, and we tend to throw to our guest first. So, Chris, what do you think generally of Call of Duty for Modern Warfare? So I, and I'm going to try and put my my memory cap on to when I first got it play it. Um, I was delighted by this game. I think uh, for multiple reasons, uh, and we can, I'll let you dive into that because I know a lot about the behind the scenes of what led up to uh, Call of Duty 4 as far as what the history is and the relationship between Medal of Honor and Call of Duty. Um, so I can, I, 
can I can clue you in on some of that, and, and then I think uh, my uh, delight will, will make more sense. But I'll give it to you in the short, which is um, Call of Duty. This is the first one that hit its stride, right? Uh, Call of Duty One, Two, and Three were still World War Two games generally, um, and they, uh, you know, were uh, a couple of different studios working on those, and they were, they were sort of finding their own formula or their own sauce, and then Modern Warfare was the first one where, um, wow, they really did it. Like, this is, this is, mm-hmm. uh, like, unequivocally, this is, uh, uh, Infinity Ward's, like, zone. They, they found it, this is totally it, and it's not that they didn't have it before, but they were fully allowed to express it in that game, uh, and then, um, mm-hmm. and then I played the multiplayer, and I was like, wow, this is, this is out of the park, right here. So I, I, I am, I, uh, I'm going to play our competitor's game till, <laughs> till my, my fingers bleed. <laughs> um, well, the, the history of it um, is something that uh, I've actually talked with you about before, Chris, and we'll circle back around to that in a second because it is, it is interesting. Um, first, I'm going to just throw to Reed and Patrick. Patrick, first, what do you think of Modern Warfare? Um, so I'm of two or I was of two minds. I played this game back when it came out in 2007, and then I haven't really touched it until we decided we were going to play it here. I mean, when I played it, I wasn't really thinking about it the way I was thinking about it this time through, so I didn't remember it, I think, as fondly as I should have, um, which was kind of cool because it meant that I was I spent a lot of time being really pleasantly surprised by a lot of the, the game beats. Um, and I, I think I agree with Chris that this is very much a, like, they have they've created they've, they've forged their icon here like you wrap on modern warfare and you're like yes this is perfect just ship it out as it is and we're going to use this as a template for like basically the entire genre um i don't know if i would have if that's a thing that's become more clear to everybody now just in the wake of everything that's that's happened in the shooter space since modern warfare or if it's kind of always been that way um but that's something we can discuss yeah, it is. Um, I think that it's a very different game to play now than you know when it originally came out. Reed, what do you think? Yeah, well, I I love this game. I thought about it a lot um, after we did Shooter, and I, I wrote about this game. Um, and then I kept thinking about, well, what's my favorite shooter? And I thought about it, and as useless as it is to say something's a favorite, I, I think this this to me is is one of the uh, big examples of what you can do with these games um i don't know just to just to express my enthusiasm for this game i i think it's really something yeah i have similar opinions i i adore it i mean i've played it time and time over um single player and multiplayer and i i i really do love it um i struggle with it a little more these days because i think i've described it in the past as kind of patient zero yeah um, it's sort of, it's a great game. It's a really great game, but there's just so much that's kind of emanated from there, and so many kind of um, perverse things that have happened to, to shooters and to games generally, actually, outside of the, the shooter genre, as a result of the original Modern Warfare that I find very troubling and um, unpleasant. But yeah, that's you know, part of it, right? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, that's that's why it's a very different game to play now, mm. nine years later. Um, but let's go back then. Let's just jump into the past and Chris um, no sound effects 
Yeah. We're not going to sound effects for no. back into the past. Wait, you know what? <laughs> we could actually. Ch- we've never done sound effects before, but if we needed an excuse to do them, that is it. That's the perfect one. Yeah, there so we go. We'll wing some of those in uh, when it comes to the edit. But yeah, if you could give us kind of. <laughs> If you could give us a kind of potted history of, um, I guess, from Medal of Honor to when the kind of break happened, the split happened, and Infinity Ward was founded, um, that would be really interesting. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I, so I'll give it to you in, in the short. So, um, yeah. Infinity Ward uh, was founded by a bunch of guys that left a company called 2015. 2015 was the company that Electronic Arts contracted the PC version of Metal of Honor. Um, and it's interesting, when you talk to PC game players, they'll remember that as the first Medal of Honor. Uh, when it's mm-hmm. chronologically, it, it, it ties for second or third. Um, so, uh, it, as far as that goes, right? Now, arguably, we can argue then about what the first Medal of Honor was as far as how people remember it or uh, which one affected them the most or what really simplified the rest of the series, blah, blah, blah. All of that, but chronologically, in the way it goes, is uh, we started Medal of Honor, uh, no colons, no after titles, nothing else, uh, as a PS1 game, and then uh, it started to get some traction um, uh, as in its own right. It was ex- actually expected to not be great, which is why we got left alone and made something decent, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? So the executives sort of stayed out of our hair until they got to like the last third of the project, where they said, "Oh, holy smoke, this is actually pretty fun." Uh, you know, and then they kind of got got in the mix. Uh, but after that, hey Chris, could you? What? Why didn't they think it was going to be any good? Oh, um, so you have to remember it was the PS One. So um, yeah, on the PS One, the only shooter that predates it, uh, arguably, is Rupture. Um, you also have to remember that. Uh, so when Metal Water was first designed, uh, I had to account for uh, D-pad control. Um, mm-hmm. Because the dual mm-hmm. analog right. stick was uh, debuted to developers about thirty thirty percent through the schedule, right? And oh, okay. so while we were making it, I said, "Oh my God, we have to go dual analog the whole way." And uh, we said, "Yeah, but the install base for two dual analog at launch is probably not going to outweigh uh, people with D-pad only, right?" Uh, right. Okay. Uh, at least that was the, the forecast. What actually ended up happening is uh, they, they put the dual analog out. It was so popular, they put the dual shock out, right? Um, so the difference between the two is the dual analog had no vibration actuators and had slightly longer paddle grips, right? Um, and then they yeah. redesigned it into the dual shock. And the, um, I'm going to shoot somebody's dog right now. I, I, just, <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to. I need a paintball gun. Give him give like a, a quick air color. Um, so, uh, the, uh, so those are all considerations at the time. And so basically, when you play the first Medal of Honor, the PS1 version, uh, I don't think it's possible now unless you, you break out a PSX or like a PS1 um, and actually go to disc. Um, uh-huh. But uh, the reason it plays at the pace that it does and the way it's designed was to accommodate um, D-pad only controls, right? So right. Uh, it will feel like uh, to to the modern gamer, it will feel like playing in molasses, right? Um, <laughs> like okay. It, it'll just feel like everything is, is, is 
a little slower. It won't feel bad. It will just not be lightning fast as everything else is because uh, you know accounting for D-pad response time. Um, it's, right. It's, it's a totally different design uh, problem or design challenge. Um, anyway, uh, so that's the sort of loose history on 2015. Then those guys. Um, Needless to say, there were some uh, business dealings going on. Some of those guys didn't really want... Oh, so 2015 was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and not everybody wanted to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> so there was, a, there was some talks about moving the studio to somewhere more LA, LA uh, available. And um, the, uh, that also became a split from the current owner of 2015. And did other stuff. So Vince Antella and Grant and Jason and like the, the core group from there split off to start Infinity War. Um, and then um, the, this is actually some dirty laundry. They were supposed to actually start their studio um, uh, as an EA studio and do uh, Medal of Honor PC games. Uh, but, oh. Uh, yes. So, uh, but... Uh, I can't speak to this because it's not firsthand. The rumor has it uh, that uh, something went wrong in that deal. Uh, and basically, Activision picked up the ashes of uh, what went on there uh, and said, Hey, <laughs> that sounds great for us. Why don't we uh, start you guys out, uh, out here in the valley and uh, you guys get started on making a game called Call of Duty. What a poor business decision that was. Uh, dude, you know, man, I could tell you, <laughs> like, they, like it, it's hard to not throw shade uh, at, 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 uh, at EA at the time, because we were all learning, you know what I mean? And, but Oh, no, 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 I, I was just being sarcastic about Activision, so, oh. you know, scooping up Infinity oh, Ward. I thought you meant, I thought uh, you meant the, the, well, it was a poor decision to let them go create, and then, and then it was a cool, yeah, you're right, like, oh, yeah. Just incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. Fantastic, right? Well, uh, little did you know, so Spark Unlimited uh, was actually the, the, the core bits and pieces of the console team uh, from DreamWorks Interactive that went out and got started. And they did Call of Duty 2, I think. No, it was Call of Duty Finest, Finest Hour, Hour, the first yes. console one. Right, Finest Hour, thank you. Uh, and so um, when that team spread out and uh, the, the important thing to take from that is right from the beginning, um, Activision was determined to do the hopscotch system, right? Which is oh yeah, basically one studio on odd years, the other studio on even years, uh, so that they could release every year, right, with a two-year game, mm. as opposed to trying mm -hmm. to cram you know, twelve months of development into uh, one uh, one studio again and again, which is like the, like. That came from the Madden model, right? Mm, like, mm -hmm. I blame uh, all of the woes of the uh, late 90s, early 2000s at EA on Madden being a, a breakout success, right? Why can't you do it like they do? <laughs> well, yeah. Because we don't make sports games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, that's kind of where that went. And then, uh, you know, so three different destinies were then um, sort of authored, right? Or mm. four, because Treyarch, Treyarch comes into the mix uh, at some point. Um, so, you know, Infinity Ward basically went to, um, you know, to kick this off, and I think that their mission, um, 
and, and I'm just speculating their mission statement at the time was take out number one, that's right. Mm-hmm. Destroy. Mm-hmm. Huh. Just, just, and so uh, that first three or four games um, was basically all about uh, doing the same thing better, right? And that's why hmm. I say that by the time they get to Call of Duty 4 and they go to Modern Warfare, they actually walk into a context that they can completely own, right? Mm-hmm. It's all theirs. Right, yeah. Uh, they've gone modern. Uh, and part of my delight was, awesome, you're getting out of my backyard. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, <laughs> like, maybe I can now pick up the ball and run, run free with it so that um, I don't have to worry so much about um, the, the direct comparison. Right, just because that that style of game, or or the era, like setting in the modern times, did that just kind of dominate <sighs> things, make it hard to uh, I mean, continue it, making? It did, and I got into this argument many times with uh, various people. Like, no, like that's great. Let them go there. That's going to be their heritage now. Um, it's yeah, better to. Uh, kill Medal of Honor for several years and then come back um, for multiple reasons. Uh, Medal of Honor has always been a World War II game. Um, but mm-hmm. Even from like our first X statement for the game, it was GoldenEye, World War II. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, to uh, redesign it at that point for the, the colors of the franchise would have been almost like starting a brand new. Um, you know, because part of that reason is the mythology built into World War II. Is there are clear bad guys and good guys, right? As far as our understanding of it, going to modern, uh, basically you have to start inventing bad guys, right? Um, and the the gravity or uh, right. The, the, well, you the, also the, have you also have the separation of decades of history, right? Exactly. And so the other piece of that is like, if I say to you a Nazi turns the corner, I don't have to actually fill that description out with everything else, right? You immediately hmm. assume he's a bad guy, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah. like, it, it comes with a lot of like shortcuts for us as like a storytelling element of like it's it's good versus evil. It's really like it's clear not only in our heads but in the audience's head, right? Uh, we don't have to fill in certain story points. We can stay focused on the main character uh, and tell about like the player and not worry about the world hmm. as much. Um, and so. Um, you know, and that to me is where Call of Duty starts to go. Like I said, they start to own their own uh, feature. Uh, you know, even going back to when you go to like COD blocks, right? The Black Ops, mm-hmm. they go back to the spy spy stuff a little bit, but they they start to play around with. Um, let's start to play with our bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, yeah. And that's so true. their context changes. And, and so, like, the series actually, it opened them up a lot to a lot of uh, uh, possibilities, you know, and, it, and then the eventuality of having, you know, Chevy Chase in our hands. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, this kind of leads to a, an interesting first sort of debate point, then, I think, on the original Modern Warfare, which is, um, yeah, you have this kind of interesting transition, I think, from shooting games containing very clearly identifiable bad guys, either Nazis or like aliens, monsters, if you're playing Half-Life, um, to a game that's, whether it likes it or not, whether it wants to be or not, is a lot shadier 
politically and morally because the kind of you know American military involvement in the Middle East has always been sort of stooped in questions and controversy and debates about whether it's you know even legal. Mm-hmm. Um, does uh, this is an open question by the way to, to anyone who wants to jump in? Um, do you think that the 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 story of Call of Duty Four, the single player campaign, do you think it sort of carries uh, a lot of those? ambiguities or do you think that it's fine it's just like mere entertainment do you think it kind of embraces the idea that okay the lines are blurred these days or do you think that it carries on with the sort of nazis americans uh dynamic but with different you know textures i think it's actually accidentally um doing that kind of in spite of itself because i was that's kind of the main question i was asking myself playing through it the second time and you just see so much evidence that they're really trying to set up a pretty simple kind of dichotomous conflict. Um, you've got the evil bad guys with nuclear weapons and like the public executions, and then you've got the uh, the good guys who are trying to stop all of that. So it's, I think they think it's pretty cut and dry, um, but there's actually, especially now, years after the fact, way more room for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Reed? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think they, they do a decent job of like you were saying, everything about that game feels kind of dirty, you know? Mm-hmm. You have, um, like, especially in the American sections, you they try to position the the opposition as, you know, you're, you're shooting them and, and your guys are hooahing and everything, and it almost feels like a kind of a cartoon of the Iraq invasion, you know, in the reports you get from that in documentaries. Um, and then it gets even, it gets kind of murkier, though. So you, you can't quite see anyone as good or bad and then when you're playing as the SAS agents and you have the feeling that they're kind of, I don't know it's, nothing seems very simple Yeah, you know, they're they're kind of skulking around and they're meeting up in the middle of the night with uh, essentially rebels, right? The uh, the Russian loyalists that you work with are trying to overthrow their uh, nationalist government mm-hmm. um so you get this sense that you're kind of just manipulating pieces, um, that you're killing who is appropriate to kill at the time. Mm. Um, but I think it's interesting because you play that game for the first time and when you're just kind of caught up in the spectacle of it, you don't see that there's... You might have a sense of the tone not being super black or white, black and white, but uh, when you first play it, I think you get caught up and just, just shoot the guys who are shooting at you. Yeah. You know? And I wonder too if if that's a reflection of when I played this for the first time. You know, I was used to playing the only shooters I'd played had been, you know, Medal of Honor and older Call of Duty games and Doom. Um, mm. So I kind of expected to not think. See, I I actually think that it is quite muddied, and I I think I it's something that I noticed quite immediately when I was playing even for the first time because I remember that the the opening level is you know you. Uh, parasail onto this boat and then you're shooting people while they're in bed asleep and like a guy stuck us out drunk stuck us out drunk and you know you shoot him right and yep. there's this you know there's this immediate sense of um you know we might be like the good guys in quotation marks but they're by no means above doing bad things and you know it's 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 very brutal it's very sort of pragmatic in a very disturbing way and then you've got the scenes of that, that really great, I think, intro where you're seeing through the eyes of the deposed leader of this Middle Eastern stan or whatever, you know. Um, 
And we, we call it nowhere is Dan. Oh, okay. Nowhere yeah. is Dan. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing through his eyes, and I'll, 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 it doesn't go into it quite as much as I would like, but I think that there's a kind of vague sense of trying to like contextualize the the bad guys. You know, they've deposed the leader. They're establishing a new whatever. You know, there's a kind of like thimble of justification given to them. And you got these other moments where like Captain Price just executes that guy who's tied to a chair and yeah the american soldiers are a little bit sort of quarterback mentality and stuff like this um, yeah. and that that's also really good and then they set off a nuke and then they're launching nukes at the american east coast and it just goes from this slightly ambiguous vaguely interesting paul greengrass type thing to michael bay and it loses me a little bit there when as soon as like, anyone mentions yeah. nu- as, as soon as anyone mentions mentions nukes, yeah, I just you know I I, I tune out because um, it's just such a sort of trad thing. Chris, what do you think? Well, it's interesting. So from 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 my point of view, actually, there's two two things that go into the, into my answer. One, um, D-Day uh, became the standout example spectacle from a business standpoint of, of mm. how to be um, the first D-Day to hit E3 was actually offered by the guys at Infinity War when they were at Point of Right. Yeah. Uh, and their sort of like MO, their mission was to get really cinematic with their spectacle. Um, and uh, story wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't, that story was not important. It was that story was there to uh, support the gameplay and the spectacle. And so um, I think there was like a, a slight difference from execution in the way they did it and the way that um, teams that I worked on directly. Not that neither good nor bad, right? Um, but uh, it's, it's interesting, and I, and I think you brought this up. Uh, was, it, was it you, Reed, that said uh, up until then you had been playing, everything was pretty black and white? Uh, it was, Reed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then when after the nuke, then it becomes a lot more Yeah, and simple. so to me, uh, in hindsight, at that time, you have to remember the, the gaming culture, right? Is I think that's why, um, in getting to that game, when I first played it, it felt pretty black and white um, because uh, of the design that's happening away from the screen, which is I was conditioned to have, um, you know, good versus evil. And then I get to there, and it feels like there's just enough murk in there to make it feel fresh. But they're really hitting it hard with a hammer as far as, like, these guys are bad, right? Uh, we mm-hmm. don't want you to have any remorse um, in the actual activity of shooting, um, right? Uh, and, and to uh, make sure that on the, on the player side of the screen that there's no doubts, like there's no um, uh, ambiguity on, on, on your side. Now, from patient zero forward, I think it gets murkier, right? Like I think I think yeah. Call of Duty Four opens up the door a little bit, <coughs> especially coming from mm-hmm. a modern context, and then also uh, you know in their writing allowing for a little bit of uh, different POVs, like also you know from like the American POV, the SAS POV, right? Like allowing there to be different looks at the same situation. So mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I feel like in hindsight, it's well okay from an intellectual point of view. Just going modern and going to the Middle East introduces the idea of murkiness, right? Yeah. Like, period. Like, 
thought on yeah. my side mm -hmm. of the screen the context of that world instantly puts me into a mind frame of like okay let's see who the real good guys are right and it, and it gets to yeah. like a, kind of like a real like you feel like you're trying to figure out who who's good and who's really bad and there's a little bit more like a mental stress as far as um i need to figure out what i'm supposed to be going for right yeah especially at the time it came out too you know it's yeah, yeah, yeah. 2007 the war uh is still very much on yes and mm -hmm. people are you know and we're you know in the west we're starting to see the fallout too of of the many different fuck-ups right. going on institutional level there so you can't start playing that game without bringing something to it absolutely see i i, I think the call of duty series has, has been this really interesting um sort of paradox slightly masturbate return i'm sorry um whereby <laughs> The original Modern Warfare to me seems the one that's kind of the most conscientious and the one that's most interested in being murky and, and sort of conflicted. Um, but it's the one that perhaps feels the easiest to play and enjoy. Whereas the follow ups, Modern Warfare 2, 3, like Black Ops 2, etc., seem to me increasingly less interested in murkiness or like duplicity. But as the years go on, as the war, you know, becomes become more aware of the, the, the institutional problems involved in Gulf War Two, and, and as shooting games become sort of just more the same and cookie cutter, those games start to feel more problematic to me, even though they edge even more towards escapism. As I play Call of Duty over the years, it feels to me like a more dirty experience than playing hmm. the original Modern Warfare. Is, is that just because you're reflecting back on why it's not changing? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, and it, it yeah, it's because it's um, it's because when I played the original Modern Warfare, it was like, wow, this is this is fresh and this is new, and I think it, it just it feels kind of nice to play something that's fresh and new. Whereas yeah. when you're playing a game that, you know, has become the high watermark in terms of financially, uh, in terms of finances, and has become the template for so many other games, and it's just. The kind of defining totem of what games are to most of the world, it just it feels slightly dirtier. It just feels like you're kind of joining a queue. Well, so here I'll give you my my viewpoint on that. Um, uh, because of the drifting away from making sure that you know the bad guys are bad guys, even though uh, it, it was like at a high level much murky, much much murkier there. <laughs> Um, much murkier. That's got to be a shirt. Much murkier. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I think for me, and this is this is the moment. It may be, not be the real true moment where, like, I sort of turned sideways on questioning, feeling good about like going on the wrong. Um, but I, what is it, Modern Warfare two or three, where you make that run to the favela? That's two. Yeah. Two. And so, like, I think that's the first time a that it felt like gameplay for gameplay's sake, right? There's a couple places in there where I'm like, oh, come on, uh, there's some designer right now uh, masturbating in the stall at work going, oh, my God, I made the best encounter ever, right? And, like, mm -hmm. you know, I can't wait till people figure this one out. And, like, there's no offense to that designer, but, I, like, there are places in there where I'm like, dude, like, I didn't want it to be this hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I just want to get to the next section. And this was, this is a tra transitional section, right, that I should be kind of blowing through, but... The, the the opposite effect happened instead of having like oh this is a great like shooting puzzle 
it actually turned into, hey, who are these guys anyway? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I've seen this guy about three or four times, you know, as far as the shirts go, and like they're kind of cardboard cutouts, and they're just coming at me from some seemingly random directions. But, you know, favelas are, are you know, world-renowned as some of the poorest places in the world, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, like, who are these guys working for? Why are they working for them? Does this guy just want to eat? I mean, like, you know, it, it started coming into who am I actually shooting, right? And what's their purpose in this story? And then uh, then it gets into TV land of, like, their pay stubs, right? And as soon as, yeah. as, yeah. soon as you make stormtroopers out of everybody, um, you lose a gravity in the storytelling. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Because then every challenge is not so much about I have to get to the next world-saving objective, right? It's a, it's I'm fighting the designer to shoot his cardboard cutouts down so I can get the next story piece, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like your brain changes, like your perception of the situation goes there, and then you know to justify the fact that you might feel bad for shooting like ten really like impoverished people, <laughs> you know, with machine guns who might be gangsters, they might not be, but. I'll never get their context, right? They're just mm-hmm. standing between me and the story goal. Um, then it, it's, it's sort of um, uh, it's a miss, right? Like, yeah, it, it's it's like a it's a missed storytelling opportunity. Of like, uh, why are these guys here? What's going on? And, you, and, yeah. and the minute you start to question those things in a in a section of the gameplay that should have just been a transitional uh, action piece. Uh, then you know you, you start to you start to uncover the chinks in the armor. Well, this is it. I mean, I think that something that we've talked about before, not just on this show, but I think um, in in various things that we've written, is that whether games and game makers want it or not, their games are political. Their games have a real world context. I mean, you can say it's the most escapist, free form thing that you like, but it it, it always comes with. Um, a modicum of reality, and yeah, when you when you set a gunfight in a favela, you know, you're asking for it. You know, you, you are openly inviting people, I think, to question the the morality, the context, the explanation behind that. Absolutely, and I and I think, and let me see if I can sum up my point. You're gonna break world fiction, um, either uh, on the context of oh hey. It's Chuck E. Cheese, and I'm shooting a light gun, right? Or I'm gonna go, or headed towards the other way, which is questioning like your moral standing within that environment. Yeah, right. And so uh, it's a slippery slope um, when, when you get there, right? The thing is, I've seen a lot of games that have tried specifically to do the latter, and it has almost universally, in my opinion, not worked. Um, when you try and sort of deliberately draw attention to the um, the issues that your game is addressing, some of the I think the most poignant games are the ones that um, just sort of let you take it all in and infer. Um, which is why I think the first Modern Warfare is my favorite out of the uh, increasingly long series of Modern Warfare games because it's they they're assuming that their narrative i think is a lot more simplistic than it actually is but again that might be me kind of reading backwards from my position um 7 or 8 years down the road i don't know mm. well i i think that if we're talking about games that attempt to be 
uh, questioning or um, sort of introspective in some way uh, and have failed to do it or, or just come off as hip- uh, hypocritical through doing that. I think Modern Warfare sort of strays into that because you have that section where you're killed aboard the helicopter when the nuclear bomb uh, explodes and you have that you know it, it's it's an affecting section and it was a very interesting thing to do circa 2007 where you crawl out of the helicopter and you die and the protagonist dies and the sort of tacit implication well, it's not even tacit the implication there the sort of mood of that scene is that isn't war terrible isn't death terrible isn't killing terrible and then we cut to the next level and <laughs> you know and it's bang 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 and it's just as kind of charged and enjoyable as it's ever been. Mm. Um, so I I know exactly what you mean about um, sort of politicizing, feeling out of place mm-hmm. in a game where the act of shooting is still being you know contextualized as fun and as a solution to all of your problems. Um, I wonder, actually, just as a kind of side note. If anyone has any opinions about the way that shooting, like the physical act of aiming and shooting, quote unquote, feels in Illusion Modern Warfare, is it too light? Is it too heavy? Does it feel easy? Does it feel difficult? Well, Ed, before you go on to that, I think the one thing, though, is that's worth remembering about that game, too, because I'm thinking about it, it really does kind of devolve into just sort of a cathartic fantasy of you get to just blast everyone down who could be against America or Britain, you know? Um, But I think there's an interesting undercurrent to that story. Like before we go on to anything else that everything that these soldiers are just kind of uh, left to hang out to dry. Like um, there are a bunch of different points in the story where they kind of undermine the idea that, that it's a power fantasy, you know, that it's, um, getting kind of turned around here, but I was just thinking of, like, at the end of the game, you've you saved the world from nuclear catastrophe, and and then you're supposed to get picked up, you know, and saved on your way out, and you're left, and you're left to shoot impotently as all these forces are coming at you, and there are a lot of times in the game where it kind of spits in the face of it, kind of being uh, just sort of escapist, sheer entertainment. Um, I don't know. Did you yeah. did you pick I, well, up on these things? See, this is this is again. This is talking about it in 2016. If Modern Warfare ended with Price is dead, Gaz is dead, and then you die ultimately at the end, and ev- everyone dies, right? Uh-huh. That's a brilliant, somber, critical <clears throat> ending. That's really punchy and frightening and brave. Um, but then two years later, Modern Warfare Two comes out, and lo and behold, Captain Price survived you survived, and now you're action heroes. So Modern Warfare by itself, after I finished playing it for the first time in 2007, absolutely, it was like, wow, I've never played a war game where the mirror's been sort of flipped around like that. But yeah, they just kind of retconned it in a way to to, to not do that at all. And I, I can't sort of unsee that these days. If, if Modern Warfare ended, and that was the last Modern Warfare game, uh, terrific. But they blew it. Yeah, yeah. I I do think though it's worth looking when you look at it. No, I I guess you can't <laughs> at a certain point though because it is in the context of these other ones. It is. I mean, I'd love I'd love you know to sort of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, the latter ones kind of out of my mind somewhere. Well, 
Um, so, my, I mean, my, my POV in that is, is, a, is I, I sort of agree that the Modern Warfare is where they, they blew their wad in one game, right? They went to mm-hmm. shake it loose uh, and shake it up, and in fact, they put themselves into a situation where they had to, to top themselves with another emotional moment, uh, and that yeah. was to get the uh, airport uh, scenario, right? Yeah. Um, now, the airport scenario is the first place where I went, okay, I'm done. Uh, not yeah. Um, uh, first, emotionally, because it did take me out of the, 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 the fantasy or the catharsis for a second, right? Um, but also, it was one of um, following up on the bad pattern of there's nothing you can do, you're going to die. Um, basically, uh, that airport thing is designed in a way that uh, the outcome doesn't matter. And from a design standpoint, I feel like that's a sin, right? Like, uh, it just, uh, you're playing a story point that, um, it maybe it, it, it hits a lot harder because you, you're actually playing it and it's not a cutscene, right? So you don't have that distance from it. But at the same point in time, it makes me go, and then, well, then my choices don't matter, right? And, and the first time that you're given a negative of your choice doesn't matter, uh, then you're playing Rebel Assault, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, like I'm on a track, I'm on a rail, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of shoot the womp rats and, you know, move into the next thing. And so, uh, to me, that's like the, like, um, one of the details of the series where it starts to slide a lot, which is we're gonna do these high dramatic areas where essentially your choices don't matter. Um, mm-hmm. right. So I tried to play the airport scenario multiple times through. Once I put my designer hat on to sort of take it apart. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. what if I don't shoot anybody? What if I actually shoot, you know, the guys who are on my team? What happens to them? And then the whole thing turns into a, you know, like I said before, like, uh, you know, Chuck E. Cheese animatronics, right? Like the set breaks because yeah. uh, essentially you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? And the, the, the sort of honesty of your first blush reaction to it, you know, fades away. And then once once you put that mechanical brain on, uh, and go through and sort of break it several times, it doesn't stand up anymore, right? Um, and then from that POV, I'm like, well, there's no, like, I can't have a faster reaction time and save myself. I can't um, do the heroic thing and, and win out in the day, right? And so uh, what you're telling me is that at some point in, uh, in my future, um, you're going to take that control away from me in the story so that it doesn't matter how many cardboard cutout guys I shoot. Uh, you're going to take me where you want me to go. Uh, and what that does is that undermines for the player their feeling of agency, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it can bleed into the other places of the game where they do have agency because you start to uh, wonder why bother, right? Um, and for me, that happens more and more like, the, the more the series goes on and to the point where like, I started doing what you know the Gen Y and Gen Xers were doing, which was like, Ah, fuck it, I'm just going to play the multiplayer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and then there's, it's also, it's like when you, that's similar to when you realize for the first time that you could just sprint to the other side of a level if you duck enough times along the way to yeah. let your health come back. Um, and it breaks the, you know, when you realize that the enemies are just going to keep coming out of doorways, that you're never actually clearing the house in these games, that you're... Uh- you know the fu- the firefights don't have that level of I I know it differs from game to game how they program yeah. that yeah um 
but same thing, you know, it, it takes you out of feeling like you're in actual danger, like you're actually fighting against enemies and yeah, it makes it an arcade game. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with, you know, not having agency and being railroaded along through story beats and action beats. And, uh, I'm perfectly fine with contrivances and technical things like enemies respawning out of areas. As long as it's all in service of something that's just fucking good, you know, good writing and good action and interesting drama, <coughs> excuse me, drama and, and good spectacle. Um, and I think that in the first Modern Warfare, I, you, you have that. I, I like some of the sort of dialogue exchanges. I think that a lot of the gunfights are, are fantastically staged and choreographed. So all of this stuff doesn't doesn't fuss me at all. Um, it's only later on when, yeah, when after playing three or four of these games and sort of noticing the, the cogs, I guess. Um, well, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point too. It's when you notice it, and in the airport scene in the in the second Modern Warfare. I think you notice it because it starts up, and you can tell, you can tell right from the beginning that this is supposed to shock you. Yeah, it's, it's so it's exploitative and it's cheap and it's it's patronizing and just tactless. Yeah, yeah, and I th- I think that lets you see the design seams a little bit more as well. It, it does, and it makes you a hell of a lot less kind of forgiving. It kind of your opinion just turns on those games. I think at that point. It, it, um, Absolutely, and, and sort of to bring us back on topic, back to the game that kicked us off, is like, for me, that's the, 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 the sort of genetic fallout of uh, dying in a helicopter, right? Uh, right, yeah. And, and I think dying in a helicopter was the, um, I think that that played out at, at tops, like it was the best that it could be. Like, I didn't feel yeah. like my agency was taken away. I felt like I was up against something that you, like you kind of were hoping, like it, it hit exactly what it wanted to do in both the action beat and the story beat, which was like uh, when I first played it, I was hoping for salvation, like somebody's gonna save me. They can't let it happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's like you can't kill Ned Stark in the first chapter. What the fuck? You know, like it's like that. Right? <laughs> like you're like, yeah, you, like it, it changed my sort of viewpoint of the world. Wow. Okay, I got left hung out to dry, and like uh, I'm gonna accept it. Like I don't, I didn't feel like I wanted to go back to um, sort of exploit it because I felt like it was really honest, right? Uh, I was like, uh, wow, this is something I've never seen in a shooter before, right? Whereas like the 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 spawn of that is like you know, um, the airport, the Eiffel Tower, civilians being gassed. Oh yeah. Like, you know, it's like. Like all of those that come from that were like basically one on the ship, right? Like, how do we yeah. get that emotional impact again and again? And, and it starts to fall apart for me after that. Like, that's that to me, from my point of view, I can see the room where they brainstorm that, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, how do we top this, right? And it's like, and, and it's, you know, and like I said, it's, it's making funnel cakes. It becomes very, like, uh, like at some point, uninteresting. Like, oh, all right, well, they're just going to. Pull something from column A, pull something from column B, and make it this new thing, right? Um, yeah. And so, uh, to me, and this is why Modern Warfare, the, you know, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare stands out to me, is the fact that like, this is the first place where they tried a bunch of that, right? And we're successful. Yeah. Like, they hit it, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and after that, and, you know, much to everybody else's chagrin, uh, I don't think they, uh, from a, a single player game, Quite as much um, uh, 
they've just they're just cheapened it. They just kind of commodified emotions. Like, oh, this what's our sad bit this year? Yeah, and you know, it just it, it becomes like inherently um, um, sort of deceitful and just just dishonest. You know, you're not you're not doing it because you kind of thought of like a genuinely powerful moment. You're doing it because you people expect it now, like they expect sixteen times zoom hey. on a camera. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and um, I, and I think um, sorry. yeah. One last point about that. I think watching the series after that, it becomes indicative of um, of, of, the, of a view into the business of games, right? Yeah. Um, mm. As far as like um, how that interaction works, because. It may have happened that uh, somebody said, "You guys are top <laughs> right?" And they went. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, 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 yeah, it's it's such a shame too because you think of, I don't know, uh, if Ridley Scott does Black Hawk Down or Steven Spielberg does Saving Private Ryan, and you say, "Well, that's great. You made a great statement, and that was powerful," and <laughs> you think of this in the context of modern warfare, and you're saying. Okay, do that again next year. Right. Yeah. You know, and you you can't do it. It's, right. Uh, and it cheapens the original. And, and, uh, and thank God for Treyarch, right? And like the hopscotch system, because you get to sort of wash the palette clean while they they sort of do it again. And so like at least they got two years to try and do it again. But yeah, right. But still, um, even that wears thin now, right? Like like after six of those, you're like, oh, yeah. you're, you're like, okay. Dude, like I can see like where the cookie cutter is. Like, yeah. Uh, but uh, the other thing I guess to keep in mind is like every console generation, and this is just my pure. This is purely my opinion. Every console generation wipes out the last console uh, generation like your memory. It's a, it's as if you like get your new console, you get the you get you get the new game, and you're like, oh, awesome, and you want to see how your console does that first couple yeah. years, and you forget all about the shit that happened in the last like, generation, right? Oh, that's really depressing, Chris. <laughs> well, <laughs> It makes a lot of sense, but it's it depressing. It totally is, but also, um, oh, here's another Call of Duty 4, uh, um, you know, another Modern Warfare fact. It's also, um, that happened at a console transition. And uh, the king, oh, right, the yeah. king of uh, first-person shooters uh, doesn't emerge till usually the, the the somewhere between the first and second year of a new generation, right? This this current gen is strange because the last gen was so long, right? Mm. But like from PS1 to PS2 to Xbox to, to Xbox 360, um, basically the title shifted hands at every generational change because every five years, right. uh, like a whole brand new audience hit that were between 18 and 25, right? And yeah, like a whole new world for them with their console, <laughs> right? And it, it's it's an interesting like I'd love to go and get the data on like you know what were the demographics, how did things sell, like really dig into it because it seems that the the the, the, the king of the hill changes every console um, generation, right? Yeah, no, that's that's very true. And this time it hasn't happened. You just have futuristic Call of Duty. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, you know, it's, well, it's futuristic Call of Duty, but also, so like Titanfall, right? Um, right, yeah, Respawn yeah. Respawn Entertainment has a lot of the same genetics of, uh, of Infinity, Infinity Ward. But how long is it going to take them to get that right? And I have a feeling, like, when we see any announcements for Titanfall 2 this year, um, I have a feeling that Vince is like, we're going to fucking get this right. Like, we, we've got one more shot at this, right? Like, uh, 
Mm-hmm. And and the irony of them getting signed back to EA for me, knowing that, that their original um, inception at Infinity War was getting you know sort of a, 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 a bad shake at the, the deal uh, table, right? Like it's it's like yeah, it's just musical chairs. It's, it's musical chairs. It's too meta, man. It's too meta, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you know it's interesting that our current like shooter winner for lack of anything sort of better out there is basically sci-fi law and order uh the, the sci-fi law and order of games otherwise known as destiny right <laughs> like it's comfortable not a whole lot like yeah, feels great that's buttery it's a good way to put it <laughs> actually i can't take yeah. full credit for that my other friend dell who's also a game designer was like oh it's like law and order like you know what you're gonna get yeah <laughs> and that's why you like it I think that one thing that's worth touching on about Modern Warfare and kind of reference to where we're at now. I'm going to throw this question to Patrick, actually. Because, um, we, you know, we've got this kind of <clears throat> patient zero uh, metaphor, analogy, whatever. Um, what do you think are the products of Modern Warfare? What do you think kind of changed or became staples of shooter game design as a result of Modern Warfare success? How did it bleed into everything else um the one that immediately springs to mind for me is everything levels up now um yeah and there's sort of emerged a metagame surrounding the game itself whereby you aren't playing to play it you're playing so that you can improve your in-game rank or whatever and it becomes really insular and weird um some people really like that i don't know i'm usually pretty wary of feedback loops or at least obvious feedback loops um but I'm also not super into multiplayer. Um, I think another thing that's worth noting is Modern Warfare was released, I believe, the same year that Bioshock was. Um, And that is my other, like, if you were to ask me, choose two games that have had probably the most significant impact on shooters over the past 10 years, it would be Modern Warfare and Bioshock for different reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. But you kind of put those two together, and that kind of accounts for a good 80% of a lot of the shooters that have come since in one way or another um you either get like the um well like the, the next 12 modern warfares or whatever or you'll get something like spec ops which kind of tries to go the bioshock route and like tries to um dangle morality in front of your face so that's kind of interesting too when you say bioshock and modern warfare because the first thing i thought of when you said that was kind of the difference between spectacle um, just constant kind of adrenaline boost throughout uh, a shooter campaign versus sort of exploring and having a having a story or an experience kind of come to you slowly. Um, and I think Spectacle is kind of one out. But Well, I mean, if you look at Modern Warfare, it's designed to, like to be a one-way street, basically. Every single thing about that game grabs you by the collar and pulls you along like at breakneck speed and doesn't even really give you a chance to stop or look back. Um, even if you're not really 100% clear on what's happening, you don't really need to be. You just kind of follow the momentum. Whereas a game like Bioshock um, is literally a slower game, a more methodical game. It's also worth noting a very different kind of game. Um, but the it's, it's less, not to use this stupid word, but bombastic. Um, in the way that 
the Modern Warfare series has, I think, become more so since the first Modern Warfare. Yeah. See, I, I, I think Modern Warfare, or Call of Duty by extension, is just, it's, it's in everything now. Yeah. I mean, um, I, non-shooters, shooters, I think that there's some trace of Modern Warfare's DNA and everything. The leveling up thing is absolutely right. Um, every single online mode is Modern Warfare. Um, and and not even online as well. It's it's if you didn't play the multiplayer of, of Modern Warfare, it's it's bled into uh, single player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Design as well, so, right? So like uh, my only so here's my blurb on uh, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, red! Like I'm gonna get like feedback for how well I'm doing the multiplayer, and then you get into it, and it's really mechanical, right? And by the mm-hmm. end of that first sort of like live cycle of multiplayer and prestiging and all of that other shit. Um, basically, I was like, oh, yeah, uh, this I'm, I'm going to submit Modern Warfare and Call of Duty multiplayer as single player with assholes. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, it's single player. Like, I'm getting feedback and rewards for single player, but my targets are assholes. Right. Like, yeah, they're yelling at they're you. They're yelling at you. It doesn't matter if they're on your same team. It's like, you know, uh, it, it became like uh, you know, even in the face and the, the, the double-edged sword of like, even when I've had a bad game, I feel like I've accomplished something, right? Mm-hmm. Potentially, mm-hmm. Or, or you know, I got my I got my shitty carrot. Um, but <laughs> the the flip side of that is like the anger that can be incurred. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that like I was one kill away from like one B, and I blame you, right? Yeah, you're caught. Co- you're costing me something. Yeah. Although, like, so once again, like as it goes farther down the line. I forget which one it was. Maybe it was like Black Ops 2, or maybe it was Modern Warfare 2 or 3, where they, they basically, you got XP and it didn't unlock the weapon. It unlocked the right to unlock the weapon, which unlocked the right to purchase it. <laughs> right? So yeah. It was like, holy fuck, are you kidding me? I didn't actually get a reward here. I just got a resource that I can spend. And it sort of turned into an economic system, as opposed to like a reward system. Right. Yeah, it's all it's all economics and multiplayer. Now. Uh, totally. Um, and it gets I'll... its dirty little fingers into you eventually. Right. I've got, <laughs> um, I've got a question actually, Chris. Yeah. Um, that I guess might involve again a little bit of airing some dirty laundry. But um, having worked in big games of Medal of Honor prior to Modern Warfare, and then having worked on the shooter post Modern Warfare with Homefront, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder whether the Voices from above, executives, publishers, people with a kind of stake in the game financially. I wonder how they changed. I mean, um, presumably the things that made Modern Warfare successful were things that people wanted replicated in Homefront, whereas before Modern Warfare, you know, those things didn't exist, so they weren't voiced. Um, Do you find that the kind of demands put upon you whilst working on Homefront were along the lines of, make it like modern warfare oh yeah so i you know we fought a lot on home front between um make it like modern warfare uh and also uh, it was basically you know flavor of the week like which which other shooter games are we going to try to emulate a lot right Mm -hmm. uh and it becomes very hard to um break the sort of accepted mechanical conventions that players will 
uh, appreciate uh, in, a, in a ginger way that uh, will, will, will tangle it sort of nicely um, uh, without coming up against that rule, right? Um, so, you know, you have to... So, Homefront is a totally... It's interesting. Uh, Homefront is actually a single-player effect on the multiplayer because that studio is genetics was um, Frontline 2 War, which is a multiplayer multiplayer, right? Like a multiplayer yeah. game, almost specifically, and then trying to get to like a really compelling single player uh, was actually kind of out, out of balance for them, right? Nothing against that team, it's just not where their experience was, right? So it's essentially doing something new, and they, they sort of stepped up and we, we you know, uh, sort of made, we made it to the end, but um, in creating a new world or a new IP, you have to have some agency to reset the world pillars. Um, and not emulate everybody else, right? Or like pick your battles as far as like where you're going to do different than another uh, sort of franchise, right? Um, yeah. And in the end, uh, it feels a lot more like Modern Warfare than I think um, below a certain level um, we all sort of agree that it shouldn't be, right? Because, we, because God damn it, we weren't making Modern Warfare. <laughs> Yeah. Right. We're making a resistance so, I mean, game. You know what I mean? Like the power fantasy is different. When yeah. yeah, exactly. You see what I'm kind of getting at is like when the power fantasy is different, you should actually express that mechanically, right? Um, but when you have a whole generation of game players expecting to pick up pristine weapons off the ground, um, it gets harder to sell that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the 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 resource management of being in a resistance. Um, it, in that situation, it should have come to bear a lot harder than it was, right? Yeah. Uh, and instead, we got, yeah, just pick up anything off the ground. And, and one of the side effects of that is um, um, everybody will play sort of their own way, and they will never have consideration for both economics, right? Mm-hmm. You can yeah. spray and pray your way through the resistance, and that's fine. It's just a different game than I think some of us really want to play. Well, well, and yeah, and that leads to, I think, probably the kind of homogenization of, of shooters, right? Yes. If you, like when you're saying that you, you have to dole out kind of the uh, the new ideas that you can expose a player to, then then everything's going to become, you know, because Homefront could have been a lot scrappier, you know? Yes. It could, and then it would have had, I think, a stronger identity, and uh, people probably would have liked that, even if they had to learn it. See, this is this is again. This is another thing that I, I think is this really interesting paradoxical phenomenon. Of, you know, everybody's chasing this flag of be like modern warfare, be like modern warfare. But time and again, you see it, it fail people um, because Chris. I mean, you'd be the first to admit that Homefront didn't perform, you know, financially in the way that it was originally envisioned to. Um, Chaos went under. THQ went under yes. later on. Um, uh, the the Medal of Honor um, reboots, uh, quite frankly, I don't think are very good games at all uh, as a result of chasing the tale of modern warfare. Um, I, I, I think it's it's a homogeny that has been, I don't know, it's kind of like the gold rush, you know, so everyone wants to be this thing, but in, uh, as a result, a lot of people are not, and it, it backfires. And I think that one thing that the shooter market, I hate to use the word market, but genre if you like is really is missing is that will to kind of just ignore modern warfare um, right or basically make well again the business is getting in the way of the design right 
with. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, one of the first things I ask people when they tell me they want to be a game designer, right? I have a game I want to make. And I mean, I get approached pretty regularly. I'm like, I've got this idea, right? I'm like, all right, first of all, there's, there are tens of thousands of people in the industry with better ideas than me, right? <laughs> not, yeah. not because they're smarter, but because they know how to use the tools. And so they have a, a they have a craftsmanship sort of experience, right? Whereas like yeah. they, they've already been through the muscle memory of what works and what doesn't work. Um, the, the, and that, you know, that's not to say that I haven't heard some really fucking awesome ideas. I'm like, oh, that's actually great. I don't know how we're going to make it, but I think it's worth you trying, right? Um, you, you know, the, the, the sort of, uh, flip side of that is, um, you know, the, the second question I ask is, why do you want to make it? Because oh, it's going to make a lot of money. And I say, go away, <laughs> right? Mm, like, yeah. if you're going to make a game and you're actually going to make a difference and, um, um, you know, you create a piece of art that actually resonates with people, um, you have to remove the money decisions from the table, right? Like, you can't be not smart about your business. I just mean that if your primary motivation is to beat Call of Duty, then that's what you're going to get. And you, that's what you won't actually end up accomplishing. We've been talking a lot about the business kind of shaping the design. I think a, a different way of putting it would be after, I guess, the Modern Warfare Avalanche business kind of became the design, mm-hmm. um, where everybody was sort of scrambling to figure out this sort of magical Greek fire formula that Activision stumbled on where they could release yearly games. And I think when you realize that you're looking at games with increasingly inflated budgets, like 50 million, 100 million past that, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're damn right they're going to make sure that they protect their investment. Um, so I think that there's... I, I just think that the framework has kind of calcified and mm-hmm. there's there's so little wiggle room now because so people are so afraid to step outside of that because it's you're basically stepping into unknown territory, which when you've got a hundred million dollars on the line is I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, no, exactly. There's there's no and it's interesting, you can't even start a shooter conversation with anybody that has any kind of history in the game industry without them instantly inflating their budget in some cases, right? Yeah. Like they inflate it. To you know, quadruple A quality, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, a 300 person team with outsourcing to like three continents, right? Um, <laughs> they, it immediately goes there because they assume that you're going to compete with Call of Duty, right? Um, and and what's nice is you know I'm on the Academy panel for story and game, because um, I get to see these other first person experiences, uh, like uh, everyone goes to the Rapture and, and, and different. Um, you, you know, uh, what was the one last year we were in a cabin? Gone home? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's like a first-person experience, and, you know, from from a design standpoint, a gun is just an expression of self, right? It's how you want to interact with the world, and so your identity mm-hmm. becomes what's on screen, right? And what's neat about those games is there's literally nothing on screen, so it, it is pure empty vessel. Um, and so, uh, you know, in modulating or, or, or imitating um, Call of Duty uh, and accepting the sort of like forms of what you have to have, which is this gun, that gun, the other thing, pick up any weapon, this, and all of these sort of mechanical conventions, you end up directly competing with them, right? Even if you make, I don't know, like significant mechanical changes to the way you 
story works or the way other things work is just getting into the arena with them and, and the way that they do their gunplay. You're you're setting yourself up for that contrast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I sort of wandered into that. So <laughs> it's it's totally possible to have a new experience from a first person point of view, but I guess my point is it comes back to what is your intention in design, right? Um, yeah. Do you want to make a shooter like Call of Duty? Then that's what you're doing. If you want to make an experience about, um, you know, five-legged horse that is on a, a, a you know magical journey to figure out, you know, where his fifth leg came from, you know what I mean? And his interaction right. with the world is a head laser. Go for it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like. It's like a, the, the, then the story is about that horse's adventure, right? And so I think like this is where you know I'm, I'm I've got a couple of first-person titles that I would love to make, but they're not like like it's not in that that cookie cutter, right? It's in yeah the, the point of view of like going back to an adventure game of like oh I've got a rope, what can I do with the rope, right? I can do this. Yeah, it's a, more it's kind of like a Laura Croft. Right, like she is much more versatile in the world because she's third person and you have like ex- you know the exploration tools. Um, anyway, sorry, my, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's that's interesting too because I think um, you know writing about games and and reviewing lots of games, a lot of times the frustration is that you can see probably what the game could have been and or or what it maybe at the very beginning was going to be and then the concessions are brought in to bring it more in line with kind of you know convention and it flattens everything and it results in a lot of games that don't feel like anything because like when when you're saying that you know uh you're stepping into the arena with call of duty so it has to has to match up with call of duty and and you think of what you could do with something like homefront where you have a completely different scenario you know, and, and how you can just make a game stronger by actually designing into the premise and the narrative. Um, I don't know, that, that's just a tangent too, but that's what I think about a lot with, with where a lot of these big games well, kind of stumble. So I'll, I'll give it back to you in two particular examples. Like Homefront, I really wanted to introduce the mechanic of like, if you pick up a weapon off the ground, you're scrounging. Right? Right, yeah. As opposed to it's pristine, just off the shelf, comes with a full magazine. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like it gets, it gets like handed to you by the Matrix gods, uh, and it's got, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's like fresh out of the box. Uh, you know, it's got a particular scope on it. And in fact, not only that, before you run over it, it tells you what it is, <laughs> right? And, yeah, yeah, and so you, exactly. You, can, you like the, the, the like uh, I call it shopping the asphalt. Where you're like, oh, no, I don't like that one. Oh, what's this one? No, no, I'm not an MP5. They're like, oh, here's this one. Oh, I love that. And then you swap out for the one that you prefer, right? That's a good term, too. Shopping asphalt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another, like another t-shirt for us. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, you know, what I would have loved to have done was create a, a way, and this is, this is where it gets very difficult, right? Because already being in the arena or being compared to Call of Duty means that you have to present a certain amount of familiarity for people so that they can yeah. enjoy the details of the world um, and, and this one this is not the right example I don't think this is the way you would have done it but I think as far as um, the effect that I wanted would have been this like a pickup like oh fuck 
It's an M4 with like a night scope on it. You pick it up and there's a crack in the lens, right? And, you, yeah. and you're like, oh shit, it feels like I picked it up off a guy I just fucking shot. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. And he dropped it and broke the glass, right? And then there's, there's a little mental story that happens there in that simple mechanical interaction that doesn't have to be, you know, six people working on a system. Well, actually, that would have been probably six people working on a system, but you, you know what I mean. Like, it wouldn't have been a one-off. It would have been something that well, was designed into like, the feeling of the world. Yeah, and it, it's like uh, you you see that work well, too, in in games that I think people have come to because they have those kind of details, like uh, uh, something like The Last of Us or Metro, you know, right. where where it's it's not Call of Duty-ish and it's not clean and pristine and everything. You you get the feeling that it's scrappy and that these people are surviving, uh, and it gives the games a stronger identity for willing to do that. Right, right. I worked on Metro too. Oh, sorry, Metro Last Light as well. Oh, okay. From the PSP point of view, and that was a that was a hard fight as well. Of like, oh yeah. Of like, the, what's special about this game is it's made by a bunch of crazy Russians, right? Sorry, they're Ukrainians, right? And they 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 like the one thing that's characteristic about Eastern Bloc design, right? And I call it Eastern Bloc, like you know, fucking wall is still up, but um, <laughs> is is uh they designed complex systems. Right, like everything sort of really works, right? Mm -hmm. Like World of Tanks. Uh, look at all the imitators; they all suck. Like World of Tanks is World of Tanks because you have armor deflection, <laughs> right? And and because it is that detail. I mean, it's a um, World of Tanks is 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 uh, is a shooter for old men, right? Like, like it's slow, all of that other stuff. But the detail comes in shot selection, uh, you know, ammo selection. Uh, positioning, like, you know, radios, who even knew it, like, all of that stuff, those details get built in, and that's what makes mm -hmm. it so unique, right? And Metro yeah. was, like, a massive fight, We're like, no, 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 we need to keep the same flavor, but, like, we need to get them to author a system, or at least present their system in a way that makes more sense, like, the bullets are the economy, uh, you know, picking stuff up, and the monsters are this, and, like, whatever, that has, we can post more to Metro another time, but, um, <laughs> the point being that, um, you know, it's hard to enter into the shooter arena, uh, and do things differently in design, uh, without, um, uh, like walking that fine line between alienating the audience with something that's obtuse, right? Or, um, just being a one-to-one, -one, uh, uh, competitive copy. Copy. Apologies, yeah. Right? Well, so, and this is, here, I'll, I'll I'll use a different game to sort of set the challenge for um, There are a lot of uh, MOBA clones that are trying to knock League of Legends off the throne, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of them are approaching it from, you're going to do it, but better, right? The, uh, the danger of that, and it's actually disappointing to Call of Duty as well, is that uh, you may do it better, right? But they have such a groundswell users that um, that approach may win over individuals one at a time, but the the anchor in Call of I mean, sorry, in League of Legends is your friends. And so if I don't design a system that ten people are gonna like and I can convince them to change game, then I'm not gonna try. Right. Right. 
right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like I I wouldn't compete with Call of Duty in the shooter space, not in multiplayer. Single player, I'll compete with them because I think it's time for a shake up there. But as a whole package, like one of the, the biggest, like it sounds great from a consumer point of view, but for me, it's like a face palm and a sigh is uh, when the network commercial for Todd Blocks, uh, what is it, 3 now? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Todd Blocks 3 is, uh, you know, it's like five games in one. Yeah. <laughs> it's five full games in one package. Like, holy, like, mm-hmm. like face palm, sigh, like, you know, like zombie mode started out as a fun diversion that they put in as like, you know, when you get tired of, of, of either of our other now it's a full-blown feature. You can't not have yeah. co-op like horde gameplay. I don't know. It's like the state of the nation as far as like where games are. It's like if you're not going to compete with them on in all five arenas, you might as well not even like go to market. Well, this is it. I I think this is where the conversation's been leading, and I think that this is the kind of overarching point about modern warfare is that it, it has resulted in just an incredibly stratified triple-A uh, gaming industry, whereby just so much now uh, doesn't get through or is uh, suspicious to investors because of modern warfare. I think that a lot of stuff just, just is kind of um, guilty now until proven innocent. A lot of ideas, a lot of kind of concepts are just kind of, yeah, doubted automatically now because... Modern Warfare is such a kind of atmospheric success. Um, Patrick, uh, I mean, you're one of your one of the games that you've talked about a lot and written about a lot is Doom. Yep. Um, and um, I, I, I think that it's worth asking. You know, do you think that there was a similar phenomenon in the '90s or? Yeah, that's that's since the '90s, whereby shooters were emulating Doom. Like, was was Doom kind of modern warfare before modern warfare in the sense that it set the model? I was thinking about that, and I I think I'm inclined to say no, just because in the '90s when all the quote Doom clones were popping up everywhere, um, the market was so drastically different. Studios weren't basically gambling with hundred million dollar budgets, um, and it was niche enough that you could have a decent enough understanding of your audience to be able to be confident in whatever it was that you wanted to do, which is why a lot of Doom clones actually kind of spun off into formulas for other games because they they took something that was very proven and tested and then they sort of um, iterated on that um, in one way or the other. And I think the other major sort of difference between Doom and Call of Duty in, in the sense of, quote, legacy is that Doom was very early on technologically um, to the extent that no one had really carved that niche out yet. Um, whereas I would say that Modern Warfare kind of bombarded the niche from orbit and then recarved it completely somewhere else. Yeah. It, um... <sighs> I don't know, Reed, what do you think? I'm trying to struggle. I'm struggling to put my thoughts into words at the minute. I don't know. I'm. I mean, I, I have some. The one thing I'd, I'd say is that I think there's kind of like what what Patrick was saying too. When you have a greater degree of fidelity, I 
I wonder what Chris will think about this too. But when you have a greater degree of fidelity, then you kind of limit possibilities. Whereas Doom um, was very, you know, it's it's less less uh, defined than something like Modern Warfare. Doom is, you know, the big thing with Doom, I think, was you move quickly and you're shooting and you're running through mazes, you know, and you have different weapons. Whereas Modern Warfare is, you know, some facsimile of Modern War with certain types of guns, uh, scripted sequences, and kind of a certain style of level design and a great emphasis on the multiplayer mode and so forth, and that kind of locks you in if it's going to influence you that much. Whereas Doom, I don't think, has the same confines. You know? But yeah. but I'd be curious, too, what, what Chris thinks about uh, working on shooters in the you know the late 90s before Modern Warfare. You know, the, the care in... It's different. It's kind of apples and oranges, but I would say in that um, era, right, that um, Duke Nukem is to be what Call of Duty was to Right? Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Okay, like, yeah, that Duke, makes a lot of Duke sense. Duke Nukem wrapped you into a character that had, you know, a very multiplayer-centric. Um, it, it was like, uh, they, they took the ideas that were in Duke sort of like, um, you know, customized everything, right? Um, whereas, like, things like Shadow Warrior or, um, you know, Hexen were kind of like, oh, it's Doom, but magic. Oh, it's, it's Doom, but ninjas, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it kind of went that way, and then, but for me, like, the real difference was, like, it didn't really get different until, like, Duke Nukem. And I was like, oh, holy shit, this has got, like, character, like, real character, not, like, Shadow Warrior character, right? Like, like, it was like, mm-hmm. I was really into it. I was like, oh, it's funny. It's self-referential and it kind of breaks the wall. And it did different things for me in, in my design brain at the time that um, none of the other clones did, right? So the other clones quickly turned into, oh, uh, Doom, change the content. Doom, right? Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And for me, Modern Warfare 4 is similar to that in, the, in, in that, um, you know, after that, that became the thing that everybody meant. Um, it was a simpler time, though. A lot more care went into map design, and you know, things ran a lot faster at that time as far as like player speed and guns, and you know, like Doom didn't have reloads, right? Like, yeah, yeah. If you had 99 shotgun shells, you shot all 99 shotgun shells, right? Like the complexity of the system was so much more about like head fucking you as far as like it's being scary right like yeah yeah like we only played at night as a group of three like three guys in the dorm room right like <laughs> ah, it was like it was it was it affected me so deeply just because like they were really great about uh you know not necessarily the jump scare but creating um you know their sound design and so well put together to be an experience um you know, that uh, was, was really amazing at the time. It, it was really, like, the first time I had played something first person that I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm fully invested in this. Like, I don't know where I am in space, but I just know I gotta get out. <laughs> right? Yeah. It was, it was pretty, and I'm, like, I actually went and got thrown for a loop when I was like, what the fuck is that Satan here? Right? But, <laughs> but, you That's know. That's what we need more of in games now, is, is what the fuck is that Satan? Have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the fuck? 
you know? No, it's true. Yeah. That's less, true, yeah. less uh, people shooting at you with assault rifles and more Satan heads. Yes, yeah, exactly. Although, uh, fewer baby heads, right? So, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's fine. Because that's where, that's where Half-Life falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right? More Satan heads, less baby heads. <laughs> Put that on Thank a t-shirt, heads. too. Yeah, yeah that's right. Awesome. Yeah, less, more Satan heads, less baby heads. Uh, <laughs> is that like a? Is that like a? I don't know. Baby heads. Is like a terminology thing? I I don't know. So the, the final of boss of Half Life is literally just a giant baby. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, the Nihilam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, did, yeah, wait, did yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. just bust out the name? I did. Oh, yeah, suck on that. That was good. Boom! <laughs> what? Wow! Wow! Like, I, yeah. I, 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 I was thinking of. So. Uh, oh, sorry. Like my quick. Uh, uh, quick aside on Half-Life. Half-Life was like the next representation after Doom of fully putting in the experience, right? Um, uh-huh. But Half-Life breaks down when the three-word story changes from Escape Black Mesa to Kill the Baby Head. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's literally the point where we jump the shark. It's like, uh, I would have been totally okay with, I escaped Black Mesa, uh, a pickup truck shows up, somebody says, what the fuck happened? And you just get in. Done. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Game over. Well, that's the end of that's the end of Blue Shift. The um, literally the end. Of yeah, Blue it Shift. is Blue Shift. Yeah, yeah, that's the end of Blue Shift. Yeah, the gearbox yeah. expansion. Yeah, you just get in the car and drive away. Right, right. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's a good ending. I, I like it's it. It's great. <laughs> um, we've we've really been around the world this episode. We've kind of gone through just. We don't need to do any more episodes of this podcast. We've talked about every single shooting game <laughs> ever made. It's been like it's such a, a comprehensive review of shooters of the past 20 years. Um, I think we are kind of looking to... Let's, let's try and wind things up, I think, and, and try and get like a, a um, concluding sort of question about modern warfare. Um, see, I've, I've, I've chucked out a lot of the questions <clears throat> this episode because I'm, I'm playing host, but I wonder, Reed, Patrick, if you've got anything you'd like to sort of posit about Modern Warfare specifically. I think I'm kind of wrung out. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know I'll, I'll think of more questions and more to talk about because I think there's a lot going on in this game, but just kind of going all over the place, talking about its impact and everything, I'm, I'm kind of wrung out. Well, this is this is the thing is that, you know, it, it's it's one of those ones where you can't really talk about it without going around the world, right? Because everything sort yeah. of funnels into it, and everything sort of funnels out of it. You know, it's it's like a choke point for shooters generally. It's just there there is before modern warfare and after modern warfare. You know, it's it's um, without wanting to sound like a sort of awful hyperbolic game review, it is. Seminal. Seminal. Said in that tone. <laughs> it's pivotal. It is monumental. Um, but I think I think one question that I'd like to, to end on really, and it's it's you know if we've if we've talked a little bit about kind of morality and politics, I guess this is a, a slightly more base question. I'm going to throw it to Patrick first. Um, I've got my glove ready. Just ask, yeah, get your glove ready. Yeah, catch. Uh, it's what do you think of the uh, physical act of shooting in modern warfare? Do you think it's light, 
heavy, it's, breezy. It feels really good. Um, I don't know if it's the fact that all the guns I was using had the whole three-round burst thing on, but like just pointing your... There's something really satisfying about pointing your reticle at a thing and clicking a button and having that thing go away like reliably. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the guns feel heavy, but they're also they also feel more realish than like Doom's shotgun, where you you pull the trigger and it just goes like a million times. Yeah. Um, there is actually one of the scenes that sort of caught me off guard is one of the Paul Jackson scenes um, where you're running around. I can't remember the context. I think it might be when you're going to save the tank, and one of your squad mates just kind of he ran out ahead of me. And he just like instantly got shot in the head by a machine gun and just dropped. Um, and it was just really, it, it was kind of like that that D-Day moment from Allied Assault where you just like, it was terrifying in a way that I don't even think it was intended to be. And I'm not even sure if that was scripted. That might have just been um, kind of luck of the draw on my part. But um, I, I think that sums up in a word. Um how powerful the the guns feel they're they're very terrifying which is why when you're you know these all the levels that you spend pinned down um are really stressful because you've got that to contend with Reed, what do you think yeah it's it's interesting thinking about um trying to imagine back to when i first played this too and uh it was pretty unique the way that they they almost simulate you being uh, a highly trained soldier um, with the fact that you know it has that snap system, yeah. uh, where you you hit the 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 button to look down the scope and it, it snaps onto the nearest target, uh, which makes it sound like it would be terrible and that they go down in, in usually just a burst of a weapon. Uh, but it it gives the firefights like a, a, a level of uh, they they seem deadly, kind of like what Patrick was saying that it seems like the guns are dangerous and mm. you know it they do a great job of balancing challenge and uh the guns feel fun to shoot in a video game way but uh everything is deadly and and your enemies go down very quickly and and you go down very quickly if you're you know not not paying attention to cover and so forth uh it's neat especially when you look at that game coming out after you know being modern warfare and it's mm. it's having these these guns that are you know a lot more advanced um, than when you're playing World War II games and you're you know firing uh, old rifles and uh, you know kind of inaccurate submachine guns and so forth. Mm. It, it's neat the way it it kind of reflects the what's going on with it, especially with these SAS parts. I think are the most you know uh, the guns reflect what they're trying to show this kind of surgical black ops team moving around yeah i think there's a really really great moment that characterizes the the shooting in modern warfare which is when you flip on the night vision in the oh yeah Mm -hmm. you've got the power and you're just kind of walking literally just walking through and like just killing these guys just you know like you're flicking switches um and it it does it just it it, the, the the guns in modern warfare do feel really intimidating and, and scary and you always get that kind of like wet noise when you hit somebody and um yeah yeah they're, they're light and they're, they're simplistic and um aiming and shooting is always quite reliable um but i guess that that suits i think that in some games you you 
get shooting systems that are deliberately sort of fumbly and um, cluttered, and that's to make the, the, the fighting seem a little bit chaotic and um, frightening in that way because it's unreliable. But in this one, it's scary because you're, because you're so efficient, because it always works. Um, there's something sort of unnerving, I think, about the sort of coolness of that. Um, as, as one final question, I'm going to throw this one to Chris, actually. Um, I think this is, this is something that if you're talking about modern warfare, we have to touch on, and it will do for a, a kind of closing topic. Chris, what do you think about the death from above AC-130 gunship level? Because I understand, well, I'd assume that from a kind of conventional game design perspective, it's an interesting one, because it's like a fixed gun emplacement level, and they're yeah, kind of hitting this. But obviously there's more going on there than your typical sort of mounted weapon section. What do you think of it? Um, so w when uh, when I heard about it, I had to get to it as fast as possible, right? Uh, because uh, I had by that point already seen some of the uh, YouTube or online footage of AC-130 uh, sort of fire, right? Um, and I, it's hard for me because like the, the, the magic of it was already kind of broken. I mean, you, you realize that that is like, those things are put in as palate cleansers, right? And so as a palate cleanser, I thought it was perfect, right? Like it was, I thought it was like, you can't do much better than that. And you can't do, so when you play like shooters now and you get like to a mounted machine gun uh, and it's it's clearly a setup, right? Um, yeah. That's actually a bastardization of what those should be, right? Because, um, um, and, and just as like, the AC-130 is the epitome of that, but it's done so well that it's so enjoyable to me to have like this sort of shooting gallery section um, that, uh, you, you know, and I have to tell you that I like, oh, from a personal level, um, when I play shooter, I'm an indirect fire hand grenade kind of a guy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, that sort of delay in travel time felt From a mechanical standpoint, it's right up my alley. From like a, mm -hmm. a gameplay standpoint, when treated as just a palate cleanser, it's perfect. Uh, from like a, a moralistic standpoint, it's actually a very interesting place to be because you're so removed from the action and you can be so um, mentally and morally mechanical about your decisions on what you're doing, right? And you're so mm -hmm. far removed that it does start to bring in a little bit of the back. The, you know, the murkiness of this game of like, well, how, like if you stop and think about it, you're like, well, wait a minute, like, who's confirming these charges? Like, what's going on? Like, what's you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But you forget all about that because it's so crisply done uh, that uh, it's 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 pretty enticing for for a like quote unquote rail section of the game. Um, it's pretty fantastic. Um, I don't know. I, I I really enjoyed that. I don't think anything has topped it since because it was so much a product of the time, you know, outside of the screen. Um, yeah. And also sort of like um, hit that fantasy so perfectly as far as like what that may or may not feel like, you know, to be that guy. Um, mm -hmm. And so sort of like the crass, like, um, I don't know, the, like professionalism that is the, the, the sort of uh, removal of self from the job, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know, like I really enjoyed it, but for all of the wrong reasons. <laughs>
see, I, I mean, I um, everything I sort of read about it, and my, and my personal feelings as well. I mean, a lot of people find it um, troubling from a sort of conscious uh, conscience point of view because it's the ultimate sort of um, the ultimate kind of illustration of how you're completely overpowered. How this isn't a sort of traditional conflict in the sense of good versus bad and like attrition and an actual sort of fighting. You're just completely able to walk over these enemies you've got this amazing plane you've got all these weapons that that eliminate basically the concept of of war even it's it's like it starts with this like extermination and um you know the 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 moral questions that have arisen over the past five or ten years about the use of like drones and things like this obviously throw that level into a very different light Mm -hmm. patrick what do you think of it do you find it sort of morally troubling at all um I mean, to be honest, no more so than anything else that happens in, in that game. Um, I was more taken by the sort of mechanical differences, especially considering the mission. I believe the mission that you play right before that is the one where you're trying to escape the Russian countryside. And it's one of the more hectic missions of that part of the game. Um, you're kind of constantly on the run from these people. You have to like hide in hay fields and stuff. And then you immediately go from that to like pointing and blowing up. Um, to hear the the pilots and the gunners talk to each other they don't they don't shout excitedly the way that like price and gaz do they just kind of they're they're just chatting as they call out targets and and blow things up and there's i mean they masking enemies faces is a thing that first person shooters have done since basically the dawn of time but there's something kind of beyond that where you kind of reduce them to just a little blip on the radar and then you're just kind of wiping that clean Yeah, I I think it. Yeah, what Patrick is saying too about making them faceless and everything is uh, done to an extreme. There, I I think that level is really really interesting. One of the more interesting things to come out of any modern war type game, not just modern warfare. Um, and it's like Chris was saying too, like those videos were, you know, I'd seen some of them and and they were sort of emblematic. I think of of the Iraq War. You know, and and even the golf, the golf war, even more. But the idea of just, uh, you know, these dispassionate Americans sitting in comfort, calling out targets and just annihilating them. You know, and uh, kind of trying to remove chaos from the battlefield and just exerting technological control over it. There's there's something really eerie about the entire thing. Um, but, it, but like he's saying, too, it, it works really well just on a pacing level and on a mechanical level, but the, the the cultural implications of that sequence, I think, are enormous. What they say about playing the rest of the game, what they say about uh, modern warfare, not not the series, you know, actual modern warfare and asymmetrical warfare. and It's... Yeah, I, I think that sequence is brilliant. Well, I think that... Um... The kind of murkiness, as we discussed earlier on, uh, really comes through in that level particularly. Um, but again, I think it's something that has been lost as Call of Duty has gone on. And I think that, to round this off, to, to bring us full circle as best as I can, I think that the greatest shame about Modern Warfare is that it does have these interesting little political jabs here and there. It does have these interesting little 
um, ambiguities and, and questions to be asked. But what's been inherited by a lot of other games is, is not that stuff. It's the the most kind of overtly commercial, accessible, you know, tinsely entertaining things. I think that a lot of modern warfare has kind of just been wasted and been binned. Um, and if other games have been emulating it, then I think they've been emulating some of the kind of worst excesses when there's actually a lot of very valuable stuff to pick up from that game. I, I agree, and I, and I think this sort of rounds up, like, sorry, I have one last comment. Mm. And it's basically, uh, I think this wraps up everything uh, and, and kind of my viewpoint on this is like, Modern Warfare was so put together as far as high-level design, low-level design, everything worked in support of, of, of every other part. Um, that, you know, in succeeding generations, what ended up happening is individual systems have been pulled out and emulated mm. piecemeal, right? Mm. And um, not put back together uh, as, a, as a complete whole as well as this one did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been yeah. kind of um, sold for parts, Modern Warfare. Um, and I... Yeah, I think that a lot of its qualities have, have kind of got lost in that process. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, there's there's still other things to come out. There's still still a few other shoes on the horizon that might change things. There's still there's still games there to be made. There are still games <laughs> to be made, Reed. That is a, a, absolutely right. Unless, of course, or else, or else we're all fucked. Well, yeah, I hope there are still games to be made. Tune in next time when we postulate what the modern warfare of the Oculus Rift is. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Call of Duty hey. post-traumatic stress. Yeah, Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Will our, will our Battlefield Hardline episode be out before? The, it will, won't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> that is definitely a modern warfare beta. Battlefield Hardline. Oh, man. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you remember that, Reed? Do you remember suggesting that we should play Battlefield Hardline for our show? I, do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I remember, I remember yeah. that as well, Reed. Right right before the holidays. Yeah, exactly. That was my Christmas present to myself, nice Reed, was Battlefield Hardline. That was the one thing I bought myself <laughs> for Christmas. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Yeah. Have you played it, Chris? Sorry, like we shouldn't be talking about Hardline again. But just... The, have you, I... I have not, even though uh, one of my uh, good friends from the Chaos um, uh, Endeavor uh, was working on it. So I need to, I need to play it just in support, like you know, moral support, just to see, you know, like applaud his work. Yeah. Uh, but um, I got to tell you, I'm not at, at my core. I'm not uh, necessarily a shooter fan, so I don't go out and grab everything. Yeah. Right. But. Um, I'm, I'm going to check it out. I hear some good things about it sometimes, though. But I, in, in listening to the tone of the room, I think I might, like, not, now, I, now I'm intrigued. See, I'm, I'm actually, I'm sure your, fr- I'm sure your well, friend is a really nice person. I'm sure that their contributions to the game are, 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 are brilliant. But as a, as a full package, as, as a game uh-huh. with a capital G, oh, sure. oh dear. <laughs> well, yeah. well, well, well it, it all starts with the title. It does. And yeah. The fact that, and the fact that it's associated with Battlefield, yeah, yeah, um, is already um, already leaning towards corporateness. Yeah. So, yeah, then, I think actually 
Chris has probably got the uh, the thread hanging off that that episode that's not out yet about Hardline because that's kind of I think where it all starts. Awesome. Am I going to accidentally appear in two episodes? Like, oh, yeah. clip from another episode. <laughs> We'll just do. We'll say let's let's phone Chris, and we'll do that for Doom, and we'll do that for Half Life, yeah. and. <laughs> we'll say, hey, let's take Chris. That's awesome. It's a new segment. It's and called Chris Thinks. Chris Thinks. <laughs> and you know what? Just edit me down the soundbite. You know, we should we should probably call it cross examination. Cross <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. Nice. Thank you. Oh, Very you good. Okay, well, on, on on that bombshell, I always say on that bombshell, I've got no other cliche with which to end episodes. Uh, on that bombshell, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode. So uh, I'll start by saying thank you for joining me, Reed McCarter. Thank you for uh, for having me on the podcast that we started together. That's, that's no problem. You're welcome anytime, Reed. Um, Patrick, thank you as well. Yeah, so much. Thank you both for continuing to allow me to join you in the podcast <laughs> that we created together. Reed, why don't you tell us about yourself? What are you doing and where can we find you on the internet? Oh, you know, I'm everywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm everywhere, baby. No, uh, I don't know. Uh, as always, just go to at Reed McCarter on Twitter and and I'll be uh, shamelessly self-promoting myself. Any Anything I write uh, for different sites, I will I try to tweet out there. Where have you been writing for lately? This is a quick one. Yeah. Me? That's n- it's none of your business. Are you going to try to steal my work? <laughs> Just so I know where to not <laughs> log on to. Where have you been It's a dog-eat-dog dog world. Well, unfortunately, Ed, I think you and I write at uh, some of the same publications, yeah. including Kill Screen and Playboy. Yeah, that's true. We do. We do. <laughs> Patrick, how about you? Where can we find you on the line? Uh, just go to Twitter. Humphrey Consola is my Twitter handle. Anything that I do will get filtered through there. Um, yeah, that's it. That's it. Very short, very simple, very efficient. Nice, Chris. How about you? You're uh, you're working. You're still working on uh, a show for Twitch. Is that right? Yeah. So all of my my publicly facing game design endeavors can be found um, by searching Poppy with Cross. Uh, so, <clears throat> Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, everything is coffee with cross. I've, 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 I've re- rebranded myself as a guy you want to have coffee with. So, <laughs> like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, so this coffee on Skype with cross. This is a show where you, uh, on a Saturday morning, you uh, do like game design from your house and kind of make games for yourself and kind of show how that they're how they're done. Yes, exactly. So um, I'm about a year in. Mm. Uh, the second video I sent you, not the follow-up video, uh, is a game that I'm making right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm making on the show. Um, and originally, I was going to do all of my work, always broadcast, but some things are just repetitive. And I'm going I'm to start cutting this out. Uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the eventual goal is, you know, in five years, to become sort of the, the Bob Ross of game <laughs> Right. Like, oh, look at this happy little fish. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's your fish. Your fish can do whatever you want. But it's just, you know, like, I literally, I come out, I put up a curtain, like, so that my wife can get into the kitchen without getting on camera. <laughs> and uh, I brew coffee and I wear a bathrobe. And it's just basically wake up on Saturday, get to work. Right. And then I talk about it. Um, the, the regulars that are on there are. You know, uh, the guy who designed them dying. 
right. um, uh, an, an engineer that I worked with, uh, you know, on Medal of Honor, and like, like a protege designer guy, and those guys are always in the chat room, sort of hanging out. So um, it's 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 not a uh, it's not a tutorial, and it's not a place where like there's a there's heavy interaction as far as like you know, oh let's make this thing. It's, it's not a whole lot of that. It's a lot of uh, I'm just building stuff, and we're fine. Right. Right, so it's a informal great. game design. <clears throat> it, it is. I'm going to start switching the format to be more, a little bit more formatted mm. uh, in the new year. But um, uh, you know, you guys are all welcome to uh, jump in. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a static target at 10 o'clock Pacific. So if you're, <laughs> it's hard though because because it's Saturday. Most people don't want to give up their 10, 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Like it, you know, it's Saturday. It's your off time. Yeah. You don't want to talk. But uh, it's perfect for you. <laughs> well, I might right. I might take you up on that one day, Chris. That sounds nice. I mean, yeah, jump in. It's it's a very like I do the same thing. I've got a friend. His name's Brian. We Skype. I share my screen. Um, I put his little thumbnail window up, and he and I converse while I'm building stuff. And it's just it's literally the equivalent of this old house. Like, yeah, I'm bu- <laughs> I'm building stuff while we're talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's nice. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Yeah. It's not, it's not like it's not an ego trip. It's not like, hey, look at the cool shit I'm making. It's just like, man, this is this is the time that I try to make it happen, and I, I, I don't go out of my way to make it interesting. Like, there's no like, okay, today on the show we're gonna do, you know, yeah. I say, I say no, nope, today I'm gonna make some sprites. We're gonna put up, we're gonna do the cut system, and I'll talk to you why I'm making it the way I am, or if I'm shortcutting. It's, it's literally unscripted, just, uh, you know, operating dream. It's not, it's not the kind of every YouTube gamer stuff of, hey guys, what's up? This is XX24. It's not, uh, it's not speedruns. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, I don't set a goal that's, you know, fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's literally like, uh, you know, my biggest accomplishment for it is I've done it. I've only taken two breaks in the last 48 weeks. Wow. So, so oh, that's like great. Every Saturday is consistent. Yeah. Um, you know, a- another happy accident is if somebody shows up and they're like, oh my God, this is fucking boring. I don't want to get into games. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Saves everybody a lot of time and trouble. Uh, it totally does. Yeah. It totally yeah. Does. <laughs> but like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm literally just gonna, you know, it's it's, it's ugly sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and my community failed on me, and it's just, you know, I think the most interesting episodes have been episodes where I've like designed myself into a corner, yeah, right, mm-hmm. and then problem solved out of it, and like, okay, I'm not logging off until we fix this. So that's 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Twitch. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on that second bombshell. Uh, because I absolutely have no other <laughs> cliches whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to say uh, I'm your host, Edward Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Most Sincerely Ed, uh, where all of my writing and other bits and pieces uh, appear. And of course, you can follow this podcast itself at Bullet Points Pod uh, on Twitter also. Reed, did you have something to chip in there? <laughs> well, 
Yeah, because I'm five years old. You said your bits and pieces appear on your Twitter. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Is that the level that we I mean I know that we've been talking for a while, but Jesus cut it, Christ. Cut it now. <laughs> Is your, nice. is your brain turned to mush? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crikey. Um, right, well, on that third and rather immature bombshell, <laughs> we're going to say goodbye, thank you for listening, and join us next time when we will be discussing dun, 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 a game that we touched on this week, which is Half-Life uh, from yep. 1998. Uh, we will be looking at that more detail on the next episode but until then thank you for listening and take care